You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Oh, hello, hello, my lovelies. Um, welcome back to my show. Uh, we are not doing a call-in show. We're just chit-chatting tonight. And I have a wonderful guest. His name is Brian Nichols. You may know him from The Brian Nichols Show. Um, how are you this evening, Brian? I am doing great, Tricia Stewart. How are you? I'm good. Um, I have some technical difficulties because I'm a girl and technical stuff is hard. <laughs> no, it, I think it was more so that the internet, I think actually here we've figured it out. The feds just don't want us to have the conversation. So they were, they were just messing with us behind the scenes. That's it. There's just too much liberty and they can't take it, right? There it is. Yep. <laughs> so um, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about you. If you guys don't know who Brian is, um, he hosts a show. It's on the We Are Libertarians Network. It's the Brian Nichols Show. It's pretty much everywhere you can find a podcast. And um, Brian is a consummate professional. So I thought, let him come on Ginger Archie, where I'm not a professional, and let's see what happens. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this. Um, so I know about you, Brian, but maybe some people listening don't. Um, so tell us a little bit about your liberty journey. Where did you start out politically? What brought you around to uh, being a libertarian? Yeah, so I started out my political journey, I would say, probably much like a majority of folks in the traditional like Ron Paul Liberty movement. And that would be from the right. Um, But I came more from just a traditional GOP household more so because my dad was a legislator for 15 plus years. And it was one of those things where politics was just one of those, it just one of those things of life. I mean, being in the car and dad being on the phone with, you know, Chuck Schumer discussing trying to get funding for a, a, you know, retaining wall in Hubleton, New York. Like, wait, wait, back up, Brian. So I interrupt a lot. I'm I'm trying to be a professional interviewer, but I always like fail at it. And I stop people short. Wait, how was your dad? What, what type of legislator was he again? County legislator. So up in, yeah, Northern New York. Uh, So obviously every single state has different um, variations. And actually every single county has different variations. Uh, In New York, especially, you'll have uh, a couple different ways that counties will run. Either you'll have a town supervisor, um, which would basically be like the um, mayor, essentially, of like the, the, but for the township in this case. Um, And then you'd have a a board of supervisors that would report to that um, one individual. And then uh, the other way is a county legislator. And it'd be more of your traditional um, parliamentary system where you have uh, you know different districts will elect a person to go to a county seat and then you'll have you know one person chair that board so my dad was the um the uh, chair of the board for a few years and he was um, also a member of the legislature for you know 15 years or so so pretty much my entire life uh was just me living and experiencing politics and talking politics that's all we we really you know talked about when we were growing up because that was what i lived i mean you know that was just life. So for me, that was the norm. That's what I expected. And and that's kind of where my my head was always at, you know, in terms of uh, the the way I approach politics um, until I really started to think for myself. Um, And that was going, you know, outside of, I'm not saying, you know, I was brainwashed by any stretch, but, you know, it's one thing to grow up in that world, but also the entire area that I lived in, it's a very, you know, just by its very nature, a conservative area. So being able to get outside of, of there and, and go to meet new people. I think this is one thing too we're seeing across the board, Trisha, is just the more that you get to communicate and speak with people that aren't like you and that don't share the same experiences you do, I think the better rounded as a person we can become. And, and then we speak more to the way we can approach uh, problems we see versus just trying to, you know, 
get our ideologies to, to, you know, pinhole into every single situation we find ourselves in out there. So um, I ended up kind of doing that when I was looking at the problems of the world. And, and I, you know, first kind of had my, my blinders knocked off by the, the Paul family. Um, mm-hmm. First really Ron Paul in 08, hearing him on the debate stage, like most folks, but that wasn't really my moment that I kind of um, had the like, Oh, maybe I'm not this Republican, but more so um, it was actually his son when I really kind of, Oh, okay. This is now I get it now um, was when he was Philip, bustering back for the um uh, of trying to get drones uh not being allowed to be striked on american citizens um you know unilaterally from the the executive um so that was kind of my first oh maybe this is a new a new way of thinking a new kind of approach to politics that I, at that point i was kind of alien to um and candidly trisha i think is mostly because like most folks out there you do grow up in this kind of bi you know it's it's a bipartisan world you, know, you have republicans and democrats and we're taught that you know that's you go to school you're you're taught it's the republicans and democrats and you you learn the, the political history of the united states through that lens and there's never really any context given to what else is out there and whenever you do hear of the the third parties it's usually painted through the the lens of some fringe or or conspiratorial lens and that makes it so they instantly are discredited from the onset so the fact that i kind of I, I was able to remove my, my blinders for a little bit. I'm actually kind of proud of myself because I, I look back to where my mindset was back then. You know, I was GOP uh, college Republicans president for, you know, two or three years. Like I totally things like, see that. <laughs> yeah. Like things. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like things like that. I was totally in that mindset. Like that was, that was just, that made sense to me. Like that was, and that's part of the problem I think is that we see we as libertarians, we think too much and like, it just makes sense. And why doesn't anybody else think like we do? And we forget that a lot of other people are approaching politics in that exact same lens. So instead of just saying, why don't you get it? Like we have to try to break into what, what got them to where they are to begin with. And I think that's why we're having more success now is when we're approaching conversations in that, that, that perspective versus just I'm right here, why I'm right. That that's not as productive. I don't think. I quite agree. I actually came from a very similar place and school of thought, which might like surprise some people because I'm a full blown anarchist now. But um, and I, that's not as scary as you think. So you know, you no. could maybe listen to some other shows, or I could explain it to you if you're interested. But um, my parents were heavily involved in the Republican Party. I actually was a Republican delegate <laughs> at one wow. point in time. Um, a volunteer for the McCain campaign. <laughs> um, and so I from that, Trisha. Do you, does it ever make you feel icky? It does. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Like there was a while, like I was ashamed, but now I'm like, I'm just going to own it because I'm just so not that person anymore. Mm -hmm. But it also does. I think you probably touched on this a little bit. It does help me get better perspective. Um, I lived in the left, right paradigm for a long time. I get why people think that way. Um, And then, you know, I took my journey from, uh, you know, being a libertarian, kind of like just a minarchist, then to an anarchist where I was not even going to vote, then kind of, kind of came back around, I wouldn't say to a pragmatist, but more of an anarchist that's like, okay, this is the world I live in. Mm -hmm. Um, How can I affect change? And so approaching it in that whole, I'm an edgelord, you're stupid because you believe this and here's what's right and you're an idiot is a really poor way to approach things because you're never going to get people to love liberty if you approach them that way. Who wants to listen to somebody that is a complete asshole? And so um, when I listen to your show, I appreciate the fact that you try to reach out and try not to be just an an ass to people that might be kind of in the Republican camp. And yeah, you maybe maybe lean a little right. Um, uh, but I think that it's important when you're reaching out to people to not discount their ideas and feelings. They're valid in certain yep. ways. There's a reason they got there. 
but um, I think we can expose them to liberty. And like you said, uh, Rand Paul is a, is a starting point for a lot of people. Um, I remember actually back in the day thinking that he was ridiculous and I didn't understand why he would, you know, buck the Republican Party on certain things. And he was good on other th- a lot of things, but, you know, that whole surveillance and stuff, I didn't understand why he wanted the terrorists to win. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was that bad, Brian. <laughs> well, so and here's the thing, too. You mentioned, you know, and this is my perspective of, you know, I kind of was brought in by, by Rand Paul and others were brought in by Ron Paul, right? But, I mean, let's, let's look at, you know, somebody like, like a Larry Sharp, right? Larry Sharp, I would say Larry Sharp, if we were to ask a majority of libertarians, nine times out of ten, they're going to give a thumbs up to Larry, right? Now, if you go and ask, yeah, I like Larry, right? But if you go to ask libertarians, exact, the same exact people, do you like Gary Johnson? What do you think? Like 50% ballpark? 40%? Uh, it depends on what type of libertarian you're asking. But let's just say that they're the exact same ones that we asked about the Larry Sharp one. Let's just pretend that, you know, it, we, we pulled every single libertarian right now, you know, the heartbeat of, of the libertarian party. I'm, in my gut, I'm just going to say, I think Gary Johnson's numbers would be a little bit lower, right? Than, yeah. than Larry's. Yeah. I and I think that speaks to, well, okay. Hold up. Did you know that Larry Sharp was brought into the Libertarian Party by <gasps> Gary Johnson? Mm-hmm. So, and this is why it's important for us to understand that nobody's going to be what we consider to be the perfect libertarian. Is that what the messaging is from a certain libertarian, while it might not be the messaging you like or the messaging you want to see, it is effective in reaching to other people who are out there that we can then bring in and try to teach, you know, the, the different perspectives or to try and help convince them on the other areas that they're not libertarian, right? So was Gary a perfect libertarian messenger? No. Was he articulate at all in terms of how to (laughs) convey what it meant to be a libertarian? No, I would say being a a fiscal conservative and a social liberal is not the way to describe what it means to be a libertarian. Um, But as the party face um, in 2016, Gary had an opportunity and his opportunity did bring in folks like Larry Sharp. And, And I think we cannot discount the impact of trying to build bridges versus just going out with guns a-blazing, trying to show how right you are. Um, and it does require us to enter conversations into where people are already having those conversations in their mind. Um, so not going in saying, this is what you need to be concerned about. This is what the number one issue is that you, you need to be uh, concerned about right now. Instead, say, what's, what's on your, your plate? Because mm-hmm. when we can figure out what their issue is, right, then we can start to address that issue. And then once we solve that issue, and this goes back to the, like fundamental sales, then you can become that trusted person that they're going to look to for other things. And then we can start to focus on those like really hardcore libertarian things that we, we get all, you know, excited about in our group chats. You know, um, it's funny because there's been something going around for several years, and I think it was brought up by somebody that... I won't mention his name, um, but it's called Bottom Unity. So, <laughs> hmm. Have you heard this, Brian? I've, I've heard the term, yes. <laughs> it's not about butt stuff, people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's basically about the people in the party, and there are several factions. And the one thing about the Libert- Libertarian Party that I think is different than the R's and the D's is that there's a lot of people that just believe in individual rights, and they're not going to just – blindly follow the party because, you know, this is what the party says and we have allegiance, like Mm -hmm. much like the Republicans or Democrats would. The problem with that being is we can't agree on anything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Individualists unite. Um, Well, I I don't mean to cut you off, but like, and that's what drives me crazy is because we we're not even in a position where we should be having like this kind of, like we are so small 
in terms yes. of making an impact in really any significant way that like this petty infighting of like, well, we don't want these people in our room. Like, stop it. Like, what are we doing? We don't even have people. (laughs) Exactly. And and that it's so counterproductive, Tricia. Like I want to see Liberty impact people's lives like right now. Like I don't want to see this constant, like, well, you know, in our, as long as we talk about the exact utopia that we want to see, and we can craft it perfectly in our make-believe, make-believe land, then, then, you know, that's, that's all that matters. No, like, I'm sorry. Like, let's talk about now what's happening now. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that I went um, down the path, like a lot of libertarians do. Um, Like I was a, you know, big L libertarian. I went to a minarchist and I became a voluntary as an anarchist. And there was a time where I was like, voting is violence, blah, 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 parroted everything I'd heard from the people that, you know, it influenced me. And then I did have a friend reach out, Tom Arnold, actually. And he said, why, why don't you vote? It's self-defense. I want you to read some Rothbard. I want you to read this. And I began to think that um, I could, you know, wax poetic all day, but it didn't make a big difference. But, you know, if I worked on legislation that would uh, take nonviolent uh criminals out of the system and put them back with their families, it would probably make a bigger influence and impact in the world. And so I started to see political action as a positive. I I still think there's times when it's just like, it doesn't matter. Um, But it it does matter to me to give people a different idea, which is what the libertarian party does. um, Even if it comes to politicians and it's not issue voting And so ballot access is a huge thing, especially here in Ohio. So just letting people know that there's a different party there means people actually have to vote for libertarians. And we didn't pass that threshold this time. Um, So we lost that in Ohio, which totally sucks. But um, what do you think about just giving just the party being um, not super like effective as in getting elected, although we do have quite a few local libertarians elected? But in a beacon for liberty, like giving people the idea that there's a third party and there's something else out there. Mm-hmm. Well, and let, let's kind of start. We'll, we'll rewind a little bit, right? So my okay. my day job, I'm a sales guy, a uh, sales executive in, in the greater telecommunications industry. Um, and one of the things when we, we're talking about, you know, when you're trying to build a customer base, right? One of the things you want to focus on first is, well, who's your target? So I think first we need to effectively decide as, as a greater and if we're going to focus, I guess, in this case is like the Libertarian Party, um, just for the sake of like, how would you actually get policy into action? And in this case, it's a political uh, means and it's going to have to be through the LP or the GOP or Democratic Party. But mm-hmm. that's a different conversation for a different day, I think. But um, for like, if we're looking at the LP, right, then you'd have to say, OK, well, beyond just being there, right, as the alternative, there has to be something else. And actually, I had this conversation with Brad Palumbo. And um, mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about was, well, think about it, right? If, or actually, it wasn't Brad Plum, it was Mark Clare. Good old Mark Clare. Um, okay. Line of Liberty. And uh, we were talking, <laughs> I like we Mark. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking about, um, it was, it was uh, okay, if you were to have right there, you know, folks who were to say you have Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and then if you were to say, what's the other one? Like, what, RC Cola? Right. There, there's probably folks out there who, they, they like RC Cola, but they're what, maybe one, two, three percent. And I was like, but here, let's go live. And we looked and we were on, on air. There is diehard, passionate RC Cola Facebook groups. <laughs> On, and it's wild, like thousands of people in these groups, right? But think about the overall impact that RC Cola is having in terms of, of markets and market share. And, and it's not. And the reason is because there really hasn't been anything that RC Cola has presented of value 
that people are going to say, I'm going to go ahead and make my you know, change in behavior to stop voting, in this case, buying Pepsi and Coke, and to go buy RC Cola. So I say all that because just the presence alone of a third party, in this case, the LP, is not alone. Or is that enough, rather? It, it, right. it, we cannot alone just be the alternative. There has to be a reason that people are willing to, to give us their vote. And, and part of it is it has to be you know, this idea of trust. People need to, to trust that when they vote for us, that that vote goes with something. And when they look at the Republicans or Democrats, for better or for worse, they know that their, their vote has more weight in the actual impact of promoting or standing against particular policies that probably mean the most to them. So when they look at us, they just see us more often than not as kind of this just alternative vote, but we need to be something more than that. So what I've been suggesting, and I know we've been seeing a lot of libertarians out there, the Spike Cohen's of the world, and, and you know, as we mentioned, Larry Sharp's the world, has been we need to start focusing and promoting these, these local libertarian candidates who have won, but number two, the, the policy changes that they're able to get into, into action and the, the positives that are coming from that. Because when, when you're in sales, one of the things we talk about is, is the value of storytelling. And when we yes. can start telling the value of libertarian policies because of the, the wins we're having, not just from the electoral success, but also the policy success and the, the consequences of that thereafter. And that is actually helping real people. And we can tell those stories then that's going to show people, okay, we can trust that this stuff works, that this vote for the person with the L next to their name, it's not just the vote for RC Cola. It's a vote for an actual solution. To your point, it's a vote to get you know, a nonviolent criminal, air quotes on the word criminal, right? Get them home with their families. It's a vote to, yes. to try and end you know, the, the focus on going after people for the color of their skin and instead focus on, you know, oh, how are we spending our time, energies, and efforts? Are we, are we trying to help people? Are we trying to – and that, that's where we can have a conversation with our friends on the left, right? Like I am completely empathetic to the argument of well, how can we spend trillions of dollars in overseas wars when we have people here who are suffering every single day? I'm like, I hear you. Like there's a reason that that meme of like, oh, where did your, uh, your stimulus bill go to? And it's like the, the gender – studies uh, program over in Pakistan. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And your average person, they should be pissed off about that. Like th- there's no reason that you, your money should be going that way. And, and, you know, I, I think we're seeing a more growing kind of uh, belief across the American electorate. That's like, this is, there's something wrong, right? So it's on us to not just be the one saying, Hey, we have the answers. Now it's on us to actually start showing that our, our answers are the actual solutions to the problems. And then once we do that, people are going to start to give us not just their vote, but they're going to give us our trust. And that's when we can actually make some real, some real uh, positive change. You know, I think we can do that definitely like down the ballot with local elections. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, what you're talking about, I think a lot of people look at it as some t- sort of populism, which may be true. Like, you know, um, the messaging well, we of Gary Johnson. Right? It well, we might have, have been a little bit of populism, you know, that's like the point, though, that we have democracy. Yeah. That's the whole point right now. If yeah. we're in, and this is when people are like, they're like, well, you know, we, we dem- democracy is the best thing ever. It's like, well, get ready for from rampant populism, because the only way to be, you know, truly a, a successful Democratic candidate is to get the will of the populist <coughs> populism yes. into action. And that's all it is. Well, I hope as libertarians, we can um, I 
we can ascertain the problem the same way they do, but we can identify the solution better. Right. Um, we actually, what's really cool is um, we have a mayor in Ohio. She's from Plymouth, Ohio. She's a libertarian elected mayor, and they happen to have a mayor's court in this town. Do you know what she did? She threw Sorry. out speeding tickets, like absolved them. So what does she do? She put money back in the people's pockets. Like that's real action. I love that kind of stuff. So I mean, when people tell, story. Yes. Yeah, she's amazing. Her name's Cassandra Fryman, by the way. She's really What's her name? Cassandra? Cassandra Fryman, Plymouth, Ohio. Um, we actually have another libertarian mayor here in Ohio and I cannot remember. Uh-oh. Um, Trisha's mic. Yes. My mic is back now. Um, but I, I think that stuff is, I think that's important. And, and people say, well, what does uh, electing a candidate do? Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. That directly affected a lot of people in her town. So that had more of an impact than me, you know, waxing poetic on the internet. So <laughs> well, and think about that, right? So let's take, so now my sales brain, that's why I wanted to have her on the show right now. Cause I'm, I'm this is how oh, she's I amazing. Can I can hook you up with her. Oh, of course. So we're going to circle back because this, yeah. this is where my, my head's at, right? So now let's just find one, one, two, three people that she was able to get their tickets wiped out for nonviolent offenses, right? Mm-hmm. Then to, to have like, let, you know, let's give Matt Kibbe a call from Free the People, have him sit down with him and have them tell, you know, hey, I was facing uh, uh, trying to pay my rent and to put food on the table for my kids. And I had a you know, $1,500 traffic ticket for something that I didn't even do. And that can and, make or break some households. Yes. And, and then to, to say, and until, you know, somebody saw how stupid that the, this was, how it was literally going to crush my family. And that was this, you know, this, this solution from Cassandra Fryman, you know, and that's something that we can then tell the story, make that a real, a real thing that real people can relate to. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, and here's the thing that drives me crazy. Libertarians, we can talk all day long, but are we talking to the people? Like we can talk about non-aggression principles all day long, right? But if I say that to an average person on the street, do you think they know what that means? No. <laughs> People are like, what? A non-aggression. They're like, but do you win? <laughs> right. What are you going to do for me? Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we have to start being able to answer that question. Yes. Yeah. In, in simple terms too. Cause I think a, a lot of libertarian solutions, they can be really long winded. <laughs> oh gosh. But um, and I, th- I find this an issue and no offense to my fellow libertarians that are mostly male. Uh, they tend to go on and on and on. And I think sometimes it's okay to say less. Yes, <laughs> and mean less more. is more. <laughs> so I think we need to learn that as a whole, just to say, you know, saying something as a simple solution isn't necessarily a horrible thing. We don't need to quote, you know, the anatomy of the state to tell somebody why nonviolent offenses shouldn't put somebody in a jail cell. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's not that hard. Okay. Brian, we're going to talk a little bit then about philosophy because you know, we're preaching a little bit to the choir. So let's do it. Um, so you came from the right. You, uh, you consider yourself a libertarian now, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a minarchist. Is that correct? I, I say, yeah, I guess minarchist, <laughs> classically liberal. I mean, I, you're, okay. Yeah. Could you define your political beliefs? Like, like don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Okay. Literally, that's it. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. I am. I, I know it's, it's, it sounds so cheesy. And I know we just, you know, but hey, that, at the end of the day, and this is why I hate, I hate like getting to the, like the whole, well, you know, what's, what's your specific idea of who you are? Because like, I, I guess I'm, I'm a, 
I mean, here's the thing, right? I get anarchism. I, I'm mm-hmm. on board with the ideas. I, I get it. Like, you know, when you're talking about at the end of the day, how do, how do like societies function? You know, when you look at the market, you know, is Walmart forcing me to go to Walmart? No. Like is Target forcing me to go to Target? No. Um, but I also understand that we are here. Like we got to this point where we are today for some reason, right? There, there's a mm-hmm. vacuum that is created and there are, there are evil son of a bitches out there who they see that and they will take advantage of those, those systems. And by just the very nature of that vacuum, we get at times this. And how do we prevent that, right? And, and I guess that's where we libertarians, and I, you know, I'll put this, the, the greater small L in front of libertarian in this case, just to kind of cover my basis. But like, that's where I think we get, we get too lost is that we're like trying to focus on how, like, we're, we're focusing on the, the end question, right? Of like, how do we get this into action perfectly and it will run efficiently versus like trying to deconstruct how we got to where we are today and to avoid getting back to that point to start. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. Um, like I might have some point of disagreement about hit that because too. I think that I, yeah, hit me with, I, I'm, I am not coming in like this. Like I am firmly saying this is my principled position on everything. And I'm a hundred percent right. Cause you know, I what? think it, a lot of I'm people not, point right. to, you know, uh, corporations and say, but this leads to this. And I just think modern day corporations are a complete um, product of the state, but, um, so, and I don't think that anarcho-capitalist, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, by the way, for anybody listening that even gives a crap about what that is. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, not like a mutualist or whatever, but I call myself a voluntarist. So, uh, but I also do not think that utopia is ascertainable in this lifetime. So I do not think that is the answer to everything. And I'm perfectly happy to live with nonviolent people in mm-hmm. whatever system, as long as they don't mess with me. Yeah. And I always say, um, you know, for the anarchists that are die hard and mostly people that sit on their base on the internet you can like you know type away all day i'm fine living with a minarchist if we get down to the point where it's just police and courts then we can have that argument that day until then i will fight alongside them to get to that point and i don't really understand why that's a bad thing yeah we're not even the ballpark right now like and that's where it drives (laughs) me crazy like i'll see people who they will like disown certain individuals in in the, the movement because they're not the textbook example of you know, name whoever thinker it is that you want to support that day. Like that they're not toying the exact, you know, mantra that they were saying whenever they wrote it. It's like, stop. Like we need, we need to be able to number one, understand that we have to communicate the things that we're talking about to the people that we're talking to today. And, and if that means that we can't speak the libertarian language, a hundred percent pure, and that you need to be able to frame, not the, the, the principles, but frame the way you're talking about the ideas to people differently. So they understand it based in the context of today. And if that makes somebody come across as not being a pure libertarian, then sue me. I'm not a pure libertarian, you know, like I'm not going to be that person. My job is to be, uh, and I'll say, you know, the, the way I've approached things, my job has been to get more people to ask, tell me more, tell me more about liberty. I want to learn more. Right now, we aren't even at that point yet because we, we just are so focused on only letting the people in who are going to toy and, and really make sure that they're echoing back the exact thing we want them to say back to us. And that's not mm-hmm. a way to, to engage people who are going to be, you know, in, in my sales brain, the long-lasting customer. Who's going to be the long-return customer? Is it going to be the person who you made feel terrible and, and made them feel stupid? Or is it the person who you kind of helped feel that, hey, 
here's where I went wrong in my experience. And here's where I was able to learn things along my path. And here, I'm going to help you too. Like, who do you think is going to be the more influential person down the road? And, and that's where I think we lose people because we, we, we know how right we are and we want people to know how right we are. But in our coming across to, to tell people how right we are, we become demeaning and we, we completely lose people because instead of asking people questions and trying to solve problems, we become these people who are just out there screaming at people about how right our ideas are and how stupid are you not for listening to us? Like, listen to us. Our logic and reason is sound, you, you ignorant plebes. Like, listen to us. <laughs> Yes. You know, it's funny. I, I always think of like, especially my fellow anarchists, but my fellow libertarians too. It's like, um, nobody's going to listen to us if we tell them how stupid they are in the first sentence. Bingo. <laughs> and maybe we're the stupid ones if we do that. You know, well, anarchy yes. and liberty, um, libertarianism, they should be really attractive to people. They shouldn't scare the shit out of people, you know? Yep. Well, and the, I'm, so again, I, I, I hate this and I always do this, but at the end of the day, everything, whether we like it or not, is rooted in sales. We either are selling an idea, a product, a service, a principle, yourself, whatever it may be, right? You are selling something. And in this case, we're trying to sell the value of our ideas. So let's kind of go back. I have a sales team that I, I, I coach, right? If I were to teach my sales team to call in to every prospective customer and in learning what they have for their current infrastructure, tell the person that's the IT director that they are stupid, that their company is at risk for hacks, or that their cybersecurity network is a mess, and that they're, you know, they've done a terrible job. Do you think that person is going to want to engage in a more thoughtful conversation to learn how we can help them? No. Click. Phone is hung up, and now we're on to the next, and we're probably on a do not call list, right? Instead, if we were able to approach the conversation saying, hey, you know, listen, I, I know, um, you know, based on, and let's, you know, let's bring this back to politics, right? I know based on the, uh, you know, person um, like yourself who, you know, find themselves voting uh, conservative, let's say, um, that you, maybe you believe in X, Y, and Z principle, but let's, you know, look and see, have you really gotten X, Y, and Z principle from the GOP? And then, and objectively let them, you know, answer that question and say, hey, well, listen, you know, I know that I, I used to vote GOP too until um, I, I learned that they weren't really going to do anything different. So I started to look for alternatives and I, I found myself supporting, uh, you know, libertarian candidates. Uh, and, you know, Hey, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, I'd love to, uh, you know, show you one of the candidates running in our area. They're really focused on ending the lockdowns. Uh, you know, if you'd like to be, you know, be involved in their email list or something like that, or just learn more, let me know. I can shoot you a Facebook link. That's more effective <laughs> than, and it might make us uncomfortable. Right. But, that's okay because we're if we're able to get them to then enter into a, a you know situation where it doesn't feel hostile, it doesn't feel forced, and rather it feels like oh well now it's empathetic. The person's approaching this through a lens of, of common ground and an understanding, and they know that I'm probably you know, asking a few questions myself, and I have uncertainty in my my perspectives. Well, then all of a sudden it's not a really awkward conversation. Instead, it's more so you're just helping the person along the way. Um, and, and that's kind of what we have to do. Stop. And anytime you meet a salesperson, be a consultant almost like kind of try to figure out how can you help the person um, find the answers to the questions that they're asking. And, and if we can point them in the right way, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be fine. Well, Brian, I'm in sales as well. And I, I quite agree. <laughs> I, I don't think it. I've okay. ever sold anything to somebody by like, verbally abusing them. I mean, right? unless they wanted it, but hey. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Ew. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you now. We're going to ask some things about Brian Nichols. So you've been podcast. You've been doing your show for what about three years? Oh my God, three. Yeah, just over three years. We started in January of 2018, Tricia. Uh, so okay, being a libertarian podcaster, which every libertarian podcast, but you've had some pretty pretty good success. So <laughs> you've surpassed <laughs> some of the. You're not. Are you a real libertarian if you don't have a podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Who Okay, so who would be uh, some of your uh, favorite podcasters right now, and who would be some of your Liberty heroes? Like, who do you really look up to? Oh, I love this question. Okay, so for, for podcasts, um, my goodness, my short list. Let's see. Uh, you're welcome, Michael Malice. Um, yeah, he's funny. <laughs> break, yeah, Breaking Boundaries, uh, Brad Palumbo, um, Chris Spangle, obviously with his rebranded, um, was We Are Libertarians, yeah. now the Chris Spangle Show. Now he's show. fancy. Now he's fancy. That's right. Um, I do like Eric July quite a bit. Um, for Canon's sake, oh, I've interviewed um, him before. Yeah, I, I'm looking. I really want to get him on the show. Um, Fritz Fritz Cass is great. Uh, oh. Gin, obviously, you Ginger are. Uh, he is fantastic. <laughs> I know. Um, Kitty on Liberty. I, I'm a big fan of uh, okay, Matt sure. Kitty. He does a lot of great work over at uh, at Free the People. Um, Mark uh, Claire and, and Brian Oder, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, John Odermatt over at Lions Liberty. They have three amazing shows. Um, Muddy Water, Spike Cohen. Yes. Um, yes, Spike and Matt, they do great work. Uh, Remzo, Remzo, our good buddy. Remzo, also Aww. we're libertarians on the run. He's been <laughs> sick. He's back though. I got to Yeah, guest I was going to say, didn't show. you take over his show while he was sick? I did. I had a couple okay. of uh, guest hosting. It was uh, it was an honor. He was, he's, I, I love Remzo. Oh, he's I love Remzo funny. too. I've been on a show before and he's, he's funny. He makes me oh, laugh. Oh, he's great. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, and he's so thoughtful. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I always feel like after I'm done talking to Remzo that I've just talked to like one of the most wise people um, who is like three or four years younger than me. It's, it's, Do you ever hit, watch him on Ben Stein's gig? Yes. And he, <laughs> I, that's just so cool. My, like I tell my dad that one of my, my good buddies is, is on Ben Stein's show frequently. My dad's a huge fan of Ben Stein just from like the days of Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Um, and like my dad got so, so uber jealous. <laughs> um, well, there you go, Remzo. Yeah. Yeah. That, but um, I, I'm a big fan of Remzo. Um, I, I love uh, part of the problem. Dave Smith. I think he does great work. Uh, Radical Shane Hazel. Um, my goodness. Right, I think I do. Oh, I want to, oh. I want to talk to him. I think you talked to him recently, didn't you? Yeah, and actually, we having Shane on again uh, sometime here in the near future. Um, yeah, Shane works on education, work. and and yeah, he's running. For, yeah. He's running right now for uh, governor of uh, of Georgia. Um, awesome. So Sweet. Shane's doing great work. I, I do also um, listen to Ben Shapiro. I, I, I think it's important. <laughs> he's for so us. right. I got to tell you though, I, and I I can appreciate anybody of any political stripe, and I can just compartmentalize things. Like I don't get triggered very easily. On the yeah. one day I was listening to Ben and Remzo, it was some, and he talked about marijuana being a gateway drug, and I just was <sighs> rolling. <laughs> it's so, but and that's it's important too, right? To listen to the people that we don't agree with. Oh yeah. Like, oh, his audience is huge, and there's people that he talks to that like they're like, oh my god, tell me more. So how do we? Like, how do we talk to them in the same way to get them interested, right? Well, that's, that's the thing. If you're going to disagree with somebody's point of view, you better damn well understand it, you know? Bingo. Yep. So, I mean, ben, I, listen, I do listen to Ben Shapiro, Tom Woods, um, Tim Cass. Is, I'm I, a big fan of them. Uh, Reason has a bunch of good uh, podcasts Yeah, I listen well. to it. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm having Nick Gillespie in the show again uh, sometime oh, soon. Oh, Peter sweet. Schiff. Yeah. Uh, and then ben, uh, Glenn Beck. I'm a big fan of uh, Glenn Beck's stuff. He does you a know, lot of great work, too. Glenn Beck, I have a special place in my heart for him because when I was a conservative, like I was big into talk radio growing up. Um, I was a rush baby and all that. And yep. Not that I have much, you know, I, I, it was weird for him, 
for me this week, um, you know, with his passing, because I have a lot of disrespect for a lot of what he did, but at the same time, I have respect for what it did for me. Um, But I kind of transitioned when I started thinking a little more differently over to Mark Levin. And then I went to Glenn Beck before I became like a big L libertarian and then eventually left that. But um, yeah, Glenn Beck, I I kind of appreciated the way he did his show, um, his style. And so um, I don't know. I feel like maybe the, it's the end of the era for uh, radio talk shows, like conservative talk show hosts. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's becoming less um, less sexy, I guess. So yeah. think about it like this way, right? Back in the day, and this guy actually goes to um, what's been happening just with the advent of the marketplace and the more competition we have. So back in the old days, right, with your traditional TV, you'd have what four or five real big channels. You have your ABC, mm-hmm. CBS, NBC, and and then as that started to grow, those channels started to lose. The, the, the gusto that they once had. Well, the same thing I think is going to happen here in conservative talk radio. You had, you know, the Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck. Um, heck, we'll even throw like Michael Savage in there, I guess, or um, uh, I Michael I Savage, of- that guy. <laughs> oh, I know it. Hey, he'd be on. He the was Savage like Nation. Alex Jones before Alex Jones was cool. <laughs> yeah, he was always fun because I know if I ever have um, late theater practice and we'd be getting out like tech week um, and I'd be late at night in the car, he'd be on like the like the 11 o'clock hour. And you hear him talking about like, yeah, basically like he was Alex Jones before Alex Jones. Yes. Um, so like now that that kind of like that was a big deal, right, to, to mm-hmm. not just have the microphone, but to now have the ears of quite literally millions of people just from the sheer fact that A, Everybody in America pretty much has a radio and B, you just need to dial the knob to go to whatever channel that you're, you know, talk 1400 up where I was from. You know, that was where you just go ahead and you listen to it. 1100 WTAM. Exactly. And like there, that was a chance for anyone in their, their mother to listen to a different perspective than what they were presented on the mainstream news. So um, to the question uh, that you asked, Trish, I think just by that very nature, now that we have more voices out there with the advent of podcasting, I mean, Joe Rogan is one of the most listened to men in America, mm-hmm. and he's never once had a, a talk show on, on television. He's never once um, you know, been a part of a major corporation uh, network. He, he, what, I think I, you're he, forgetting Fear Factor, Brian. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about Fear <laughs> Factor. You know what's funny? He used to have the – I think he looked weirder with hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. He just, he had a, the weirdest. Looks look like a his, toupee, didn't it? It did. It just doesn't fit. And now you see him nowadays and you're like, nah, you, you should just like had bald head, like, you know, four-year-old, I imagine Joe Rogan, just like wrestling kids bald. But, um, but no, like Joe Rogan has the chance to have a conversation with folks that, that, that millions will hear beyond, you know, what your traditional, I would say, um, your traditional person on mm-hmm. terrestrial radar media, like Brian Stelter's going to have. So we're seeing just this change right now. And I think podcasting and, and this, you know, YouTube slash just alternative forms of content creation, whether it's the TikToks of the world or you know, the, the libraries of the world, um, you know, that, that the folks out there like uh, Jeremy Kaufman invested in, um, you know, we're going to start to see, I think, more and more folks start to, to offer their services out there. So the idea of, you know, having one or two just like big names, it's not going to be as prevalent. It's going to be much more diversified. You're going to have, I think more, uh, it's going to be more like a, instead of Walmart and Target, it's going to be back in the old days of like more mom and pop shops, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. 
No, and I think that's a good thing because it it makes way for more free speech and more voices and and different opinions. Um, in a way, it makes me a little sad just because it's part of uh, how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's 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 dying audience. Honestly, the audience is aging out of those. Literally, yes. um, and and not that those voices couldn't be heard if they podcasted or whatever. A lot of people will adjust to you know technology. Um, but I was thinking about Joe Rogan. This is not actually on the list of questions I had for you, but I always ask people this because, you know, obviously he's one of the most popular podcasts around that does, yeah. he, I mean, it's not just political. He, he'll interview anything, anybody about anything. What do you think it is about Joe Rogan that makes him so popular? Authenticity. I, oh my God, Brian, you're like the first person that said that automatically. Cause I think it's the same thing. Yep. You feel like he's actually being the person he would be regardless. People are in this. I think this is what we're seeing right now across the board in America. People are they're, they're just in demand for some real, authentic human connection, um, not just from their politicians, but from their neighbors, from their families. Uh, in an era of COVID, where we haven't seen you know your, your coworkers in some cases for over a year. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Around the NFL podcast, and Chris Wessling, who is uh, one of the, the hosts in that show, he had uh, cancer for three years, and he just passed away this past year, and that was a year after not seeing people in his office. And it's like, those are memories and, and people that you'll never like, – and those, like, those memories are gone. Those moments are gone. So that plus you look at the decades and decades and decades, Tricia, of people being told one thing after another by these do-good politicians – who end up doing the exact opposite. And it's like, well, who do I trust? And Trump, as just god-awful as he was in in so many ways, to that person who voted for Trump, he was the person who was speaking straight to them. I mean, there was a really interesting part, and Dave Smith actually, um, he pointed this out, when, when Trump was going to one of the last rallies, like people yelling to him, like, I love you. And like, there's, there's something like, I'm not trying to say if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We have to acknowledge that it happened. Right. And why did it happen? Because Trump made people feel heard and, and to being, to be feeling uh, like you can be heard. It requires to feel that this person like genuinely cares about me. So what can we learn from that? I think we have to be able to look at folks like Joe Rogan, who when they're going out and they're talking to folks, it shows like, yeah, he genuinely wants to hear the other side. He genuinely has different uh, perspectives um, that he wants to kind of grapple with. Like Joe Rogan, we, we've seen him kind of have these mental, uh, you know, mental battles himself live on air. And that's very, that's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very uh, like exposing. Um, and very awkward to like have your entire worldviews questioned in front of an audience of millions of people. But Joe Rogan does it on the constant. And I think people really, they really like that. And one of the things I, I joke about on my show, Trisha, and I, I've kind of taken this from Rogan a little bit is I, I say, I try to ask the questions to my, my guests that your average person wants to ask, because I think too often your average person, like they get stuck in the mindset of like, oh, it's a stupid question. Like, I don't want to ask the stupid question. But like, no, no, don't ask the stupid question. There's, there's more people out there who want to ask the stupid question because here's the thing. We've gotten too far away from asking the stupid questions. So now the stupid questions, 
they're not being asked. And now you have all these, you know, these hoity-toity, quote-unquote, experts who they're like, well, here's the, here's the common sense of why you need to wear a mask while you're playing in a, a concert ensemble band if you're playing the saxophone. Also, why your saxophone <laughs> has to be covered up by, you know, 14 layers of, of fabric. To your average person saying, wait, it's a band. They're blowing wind through instruments. Wait, what? That's a that's not a stupid question, folks. You can ask that question, and it's okay to ask that question. So, um, I think to the, uh, the the question overall, Trisha, why Rogan? Because he is authentic. He's asking the questions people genuinely want to hear. One of the first conversations I listened to when it came down for this whole pandemic thing, I went to Rogan uh, interviewing. I forget the guy's name, but he was an epidemiologist or a virologist. Oh yeah, yeah. My husband and I listened to that at the beginning of the pandemic, and we're like, oh my god, we're gonna die. <laughs> You know, I was like, let's listen to Rogan. And that that was weird. That was like the first thought I had. I was like, I'm not going to CNN. I'm not going to Fox News. I'm going to listen to Joe Rogan. Talk to a guy who's an expert in this. Um, Because I want to hear him ask the questions that I know I'm going to be asking. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I think that speaks a lot to him. And I think that, you know, when you were talking about Trump, that's true too, even though I believe he's, I believe he is who he is. Um, I think a lot of people projected what they wanted to onto him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gave a, so- a certain sense of authenticity. I just don't think people realize that he's was a maniacal idiot. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He was who he was. And so I think people do long for that. You know, back in the day, uh, old Hollywood, you look at that. You look at entertainment. It was very polished. Uh, the people talked like they were British, even though they were American. And then you go into politics. And, you know, heaven forbid you learn about somebody's, you know, JFK's affairs that we you know, push that under the rug. And then we go into the eighties and nineties and we hide, we cover up, you know, discrepancies and we make people sound like they're more intelligent than they are. And in the end, I think with the age of the internet era, we just want what's actually real because we see it more and more each day. And like Joe Rogan does that. That's kind of like when I'm talking to somebody, I, I'm not the smartest gal in the block. I'm definitely not an idiot, but you know, I'm just going to say what I want to say. And if people don't like it and they want to listen to a talking head, well, you know, you can listen to that podcast with the four other people that listen to it. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something to be said for uh, speaking for everybody in the room and, and letting everybody listen to something and, and enjoy it and understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think I think it might have been Dennis that's on the um, main show, which is now the Chris Spengel show. Um, he said something about diversity because I was arguing a little bit that diversity in and of itself is not a virtue. But he was saying it can be virtuous because he was talking – I think it was Dennis. If not, I'm giving him way too much credit. <laughs> But he was talking about there was a group of research doctors and all they did was hire the most, uh, the best candidates with the highest IQ and and the best level of study. And what they found is that they no longer had people asking each other the dumb questions or just the average everyday man's questions and that they all ignored some really obvious points. So that diversifying it to all type of people, you know, maybe some of the people that weren't, you know, the top of their class ended up being a benefit because uh, once you surround yourself by everybody that's exactly like you, you tend to get really stupid. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and, and it's how, how do you approach the diversity, right? Do you fr- yeah. approach it through a forced perspective or through an understanding in the marketplace that yes, if you were to make yourself more diverse by to that point that you are putting yourself at a competitive advantage, right? Yeah. So there's value in diversity if you mean it for value's sake instead of just for virtue's sake. Bingo. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's actually funny. My great grand or my grand, not great grandpa. My grandpa was a, a school member, a school board president. That is um, back in the my God, eighties, I think, seventies. Um, and he had a, a funny quote because um, he used to get yelled at by the superintendent because they would hire these these teachers who, when they would look at the, the applications, you know, this teacher they'd have like you know a C plus grade from their, their college. And, and then, you know, they would throw out these, you know, stellar AKs. My grandpa did it on purpose because he's like, I don't want somebody who it was easy for them. He's like, we want people who they had to learn. And it was like difficult for them to learn because they knew how to like struggle. They knew how to, to learn different ways. It wasn't just like, a, Oh, it makes sense for me because we need kids out there who are going to, you know, who right. aren't going to be able to learn it as easy. Adversity builds ingenuity. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and that was a, a competitive advantage, right. That the school would, would have. And, and if you want to go like to a school choice conversation, well, they, that, that just yields even more value to that, that, that conversation. And if anybody wants to dig in more, the, the great self promoter that oh, I am. I was, my conversation with Corey yes, Daniels, please. yes, definitely. I just, I was reminded <laughs> of a conversation yesterday where I just wanted to bang my head against the wall because it was like two statists on the far left and right arguing over school choice. And both <sighs> of their, both of their arguments were horrible. Isn't that fun? Like when you see that, and I think that's when you kind of achieve like pure libertarian yes. thought. I unlocked this, achievement level, whatever. <laughs> yeah. This, this is like when we are online and it's like, who's the real libertarian. I, you can have your real libertarian card when you sat back and you watched your friends on the left and right argue and you, you're like, you're both idiots. Like yes. that's you your moment. Your arms lean back in your chair and put a smug smile on your face. Yeah. Then you've achieved real libertarianism. Yeah. And, and then you can put that in your bio. I am the real libertarian. <laughs> okay so last really important topic brian and this may fall flat have you seen the john cougar melon camp memes okay so like <laughs> i did and so but it's funny right i didn't know it was john cougar melon camp so what? no okay hear me out right so i i am not so i'm in in the facebook uh, uh group chat that we have um for we are libertarians but i'm i'm rarely at all in there. I'm just, I'm so busy that it'd be, it goes off nonstop. So I just mute the notifications for a while and I'll go like, go back. I'm like, was I mentioned? No. Okay. Go. Um, and, and then, so I start seeing these memes and I'm, I'm like, what are these memes? And I'm like, wait, are these chili dogs? And I'm like, and I'm, I'm so confused at this point. And then I start seeing like, you know, people like in the drive up window and like Photoshopping tasty freeze. And I'm like, chili dogs and tasty freeze. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so then I start like, I'm sitting there. I'm just trying to think to myself. And then I see pictures of, of um, John Cougar, John Cougar Mellencamp, Cougar Mellencamp, if you want to pick one of those names. And I'm like, hold on, wait. And then I realized that it was, it was the song. And then it all, it all hit dog. me. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is what this has been this entire time. And this is like over the span of like three or four days, mind you. This isn't like a one, like 15 minute, like revelation. This is, this is me trying to figure this out <laughs> for, for an extended period of time. If you don't, if you have a moment, go on YouTube and watch the guys singing Jack and Diane, only the most of the lyrics are sucking on a chili dog. Is that where this comes from? <laughs> it's amazing. I oh guess it comes from like John Cougar Mellencamp, who's from Indiana, which you and I know, like most of our, we are Libertarians family is from Indy. Yes. Yep. Um, and so like, I guess, that people take offense at him saying sucking on a chili dog. Cause no one sucks on a chili dog. Maybe he's kind of an asshole. I don't know. My husband lived in Indy for a while and agreed with me. <laughs> but, 
So I guess people in his fan club got really mad that they're memeing him. <laughs> it's a thing. There's a John Cougar Mellencamp fan club. Wow. Oh my, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, and I guess the memers were taking it, taking over it with sucking on a chili dog memes. Oh, anyway, this is what's important in my life. You know, there's Liberty, my family, my faith and sucking on chili dogs. Brian. <laughs> I was a big fan of the tiger, the tiger uh, King memes back in the day. Oh, that was, you know, that, you know, what made tiger King so successful was it was the timing. It was the oh, beginning God, yes. of the lockdown. I mean, I think it would have been successful anyways, to be honest. But the timing of it was like, we were all like, okay, I guess the world's ending question yeah. mark. At least we can watch it burn while watching this just complete Right. We should watch this show. flaming guy who's hysterical, like raise these tigers and go after some crazy lady. And you know what? It was damn good. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> also, the, the surprise motherfucker meme is still my favorite meme to use. I love that meme. Yes, yes. Guess what, motherfucker? <laughs> you know what? Like memes are to me, memes are life and they're an escape. Um, I think Chris, our 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 dear leader of the network, was talking a little bit about the Cruz memes because people are like defending him, and it's not, there's not a damn thing. Ted, we're talking about Ted Cruz, by the way, yeah. the senator from Texas. Um, but. There's not a darn thing he really could have done to change things, but I think it was just a bad look, but I think people are just joking about it because it's freaking funny and people need to let off steam and not, not take things so seriously. I don't know. I don't know what I would do in my life without humor and memes. So, and actually they kind of brought me around politically. So they made me see the error of my ways. And it's actually funny you mentioned that. So a little sneak peek for uh, the network. So I had um, Kanan Vitolo on my show, and he's so well-known in the greater LP movement just for his memes. Um, and it was – yeah. And, and, I'm like, and sending had, him a follow. <laughs> yeah. He had, so he had um, hit one of his memes back with the uh, – I forget what event it was here in the earlier in the year, but it was on uh, CNN. Chris Cuomo had it on screen. And it was like it was a Kanan Vitolo meme. Um, and it was funny because, like, that's that speaks to – how yes to the to the other meme that makes the memes point modern uh, problems require modern, modern solutions, solutions right and that's that's your average person right now their yeah. attention span is so limited yeah. so how do we take non-aggression principle talk and and you know talking about going down the rabbit hole that that is and make it into a way that your average person can look at it and be like oh okay and then just walk, like and just scroll through right that's the the value of of like the meme game and it does like it does have a lot of weight whether it, people realize it or not oh it does and it's basically political cartoons in the um internet era that's what it yep. is cuz they've existed for a long time and satires existed for a long time but it's a way to express an opinion succinctly quickly and make people laugh and there's nothing more powerful that than that in my mind and i do think libertarians have cornered that market so Maybe don't tread do, on our sure. names people. i have an idea let's do this i, yes. I, I, I don't okay. know if somebody wants to take like and i'm going to um like crowdfund this right now out there to the listeners so what I want is somebody out there to start to um, do a, a collaborative effort where we're going to do basically like a GoFundMe of sorts. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to buy a bunch of billboard space. And put and memes want, on them? And put the best libertarian memes that we can possibly find on these these billboards. So I want maybe like, you know, if, if we can, like one billboard per state. I think that's a really good goal so whoever's out there that wants to start crowdfunding this you can come on my show we'll promote the shit out of it I'll i am i am so on board 
they can come on my show. Um, I'm going to attempt to get them on the big show and I'll get them on stereo as well. Like, let's do it. Like, come yeah. on. Like this is, and, and this is, um, th- and this is just where my brain sometimes goes. Cause like, this is like the, the things that will work. Like, this is how your average person like driving down the road and they see a meme every single day. They're going to be like, okay, hold on. I got to look this up. <laughs> like if, if they see this every, they're can like, you imagine the boomers that don't really do social media and stuff or don't understand oh, yeah. it. Seeing memes. About it. What is this cartoon? What is this? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, that's, that's great because if they start to say, hold on, let me look this up or let, tell me more. That's when the conversation starts. So let's do that. That's, that's, well, I think that's I'm a great on board, Brian. We're actually going right. to chit chat about this. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. Great. Okay. So it looks like, oh gosh, we're rounding out an hour. Um, so Brian, what, what are you working on right now? Where can people find you? What do you want people to know? What's your favorite color? Oh girl. All right. Well, sorry. <laughs> my favorite color is it's like a turquoise blue. Uh, big fan of that color have been for quite a while. I don't know why it just, I'll that, allow that, it. Right. All right. I appreciate <laughs> it. What have I been doing? Trisha, um, my, I don't know sometimes how I have time to sleep. Um, I've been so busy. Uh, we are doing three uh, shows per week over at the Brian Nichols show. Yeah, I saw that, which is a huge investment in time. And good for you. A lot Thank of podcasters. Uh, that's that's what builds an audience, to be You'll, honest. And that's what my show, um, really, that's why I, I went that route is because the show, um, I saw the numbers. They've been rising up for the past two and a half years. And I kind of had a, uh, a moment there in August of last year where I said, well, what's next? Like, what, what are we doing here? You know, we were doing once a week at that point in time. We were having conversations with folks once a week. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, but like, what am I doing? Like, what's the mm-hmm. point? So in August of last year, I made a really big 180. And in my show, we kind of changed the focus from just talking about politics to getting um, getting this stuff into people's minds. How do we sell liberty to your average person so they can you know, take it away and, and actually start to do some action items in their own personal lives, be that the political process in their own individual life, making their, their lives better, um, you know, whatever it may be, right? So I made that a point in August that we were going to start focusing the show on what we called sell liberty. Um, so we did that. We started adding on three days a week. I started behind the scenes on, on my uh, end, building up a, a phenomenal team. And I, I cannot thank uh, my team enough, you know, doing graphic uh, design, mm-hmm. uh, helping with audio, uh, you know, PR marketing. So they're doing we, a great job because it, it's yes. super professional looking. It, it, it's great. Like it, you Hunter, see it apart yes. from other Hunter Liberty is, podcasters. So. Thank you. Hunter Wynn is, is my graphics is a design guy. He's been killing it there. I got Bill Reichlin. Um, if people are ever interested, if they're doing audio work and they're looking for an absolutely phenomenal audio guy, um, email him William at dbpodaudio.com um, and, or email me and I'll hook you up with Bill. Um, you know, I got Fran- uh, Frankie Abel. She's been doing fantastic work helping with PR and marketing on her end. Also, she does uh, work on her end for a uh, nonprofit. So, um, you know, she's been fighting the good fight on her, her end. Um, and, and it's it's just, it's super important that we have folks. Um, and, and also, I can't forget my wonderful wife who's been trying to help, you know, keep me in line with all these shows. because My schedule has been crazy. So it's like trying to... Um, I, I, first, my problem, I think, and this is something we can all learn to do better, is I was trying to do everything. I was trying mm-hmm. to to you know be the, my marketing guy. I was trying to be my PR guy. I was trying to be my audio guy. And I realized what I can do is I can go out and have more of these conversations, go on more shows, try to talk to more people, um, and get more content out there that people are going to be you know sharing, uh, in, in, engaging with, and really taking away some action items, some real tangible things that they can do. So 
as we've been doing that, um, you know, like I said, three days a week, we're having uh, awesome conversations with folks from politics to C-level executives, noted entrepreneurs, activists, and all that in between. Uh, and what we're trying to do is focus on how can we take these ideas that we talk about every single day and break them down into easy to digest uh, snippets of information that people can really say, okay, that makes sense. I see the value in what we're talking about. Um, we're focusing on telling stories, focusing on um, the wins that we've had, not just electorally, but also in terms of policy. Um, and, and I think also one of the things that I've kind of figured out my role in this has been in this greater liber liberty movement has been best helping connect people. So mm -hmm. I've been really excited. I mean, I just had um, my good friend, uh, Mark Walzik. He's an assemblyman from New York State uh, who he started to kick the crown campaign to, uh, he was the first assemblyman in New York State to stand up and say enough of this back in the end of last year um, against Cuomo and the executive, uh, executive orders. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I was on Larry's show last week and I said, Larry, uh, you got to talk to, to Mark. Um, and I was able to hook them up. And now, you know, Mark is leading this campaign. They're, they're looking to, uh, to possibly impeach uh, Cuomo. So like, I know he's one of the, the main voices there focusing on stuff like that. So it's like, this is how we can you know, make a difference. And this is how I'm, I'm trying to make a difference. So if folks uh, want to, to learn more, um, briannicholsshow.com, you can go ahead and find every single episode. We have 200 uh, plus amazing episodes um, from, Damn. like I said, yeah, Corey DeAngelis was episode 200 talking about the value of school choice. Uh, we're recording here today on Sunday, the 21st. On Monday, I have a conversation with Jack Kerfoot. He's a scientist and uh, he focuses on climate science. And we actually uh, talked oh. about um, finding alternative forms of energy um, through his industry experience and what a topical conversation with all that's happening in Texas. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a really exciting ride. And for folks who want to follow me on social media, they can follow me uh, at B Nichols Liberty. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, minds.com and uh, the resurrected parlor. So uh, at B Nichols Liberty, and then email me, uh, Brian, so at Brian. No, you're good. Brian at Brian Nichols show.com. <laughs> Awesome. Brian, you are a consummate professional and I enjoy talking to you. Thank you for what you do for Liberty. Like you really put a lot of effort and work and, and time into it and you produce a great show. So I am glad to have you on the side of Liberty. Tricia, thank you so much. I all really right. do appreciate all the work you do as well. I, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you, Brian. And for all those of you um, listening, you've found me already, but you can find me at Trisha Stewart Mann on all social media. You can find my podcast, Gingerarchy, wherever podcasts are. Just go to We Are Libertarians, The Chris Spangle Show, and you can find um, my show, Brian's show, and a bunch of other awesome ones there. So I will close saying what I do most of the time when I'm being inappropriate. Say peace and love and fuck the state. <laughs>